This Week in Startups, the Power of Accelerators series is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash power and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. And Embroker. The Embroker Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code ANGEL10. Hey everybody, welcome to This Week in Startups. We're doing a special series, The Power of Accelerators. What's an accelerator or an incubator? You may have heard of these things before if you're new to the startup scene. It's typically a 12 or 16-week program. Sometimes you do it 100% in person. Sometimes it's 100% virtual. Most of the time you make one or two visits a week into a space with a bunch of people who are investors and maybe even advisors or mentors, and they help you accelerate the process of starting a company. So why would anybody do this? Well, most of the accelerators out there in the world give you a little bit of money, somewhere between $25,000 and $150,000 for a little bit of equity, somewhere between 5 6 7% typically. I've seen some do 10%, some of them do 1% or 2%. And they're all over the world. In the 90s, we had incubators. Incubators were slightly different. Usually it was one person or a team that came up with ideas and then matched management teams to ideas. It never really worked with the exception of an incubator called Idea Lab, uh, but we'll leave that for another episode. And then Y Combinator and Techstar started over 10 years ago. They each graduate 400 startups a year. They each put in 125 or 150,000 for six or 7%. And a lot of times this is looked at as going to graduate school or college for venture capitalists and downstream investors. They look at what's coming out of the accelerators and incubators and take meetings. In other words, it's just like a career fair at Stanford or Harvard or MIT. The companies that are looking for talent to develop over the years to make investment in will look at those places as people who sort through talent and sharpen talent. That's the role of incubators and accelerators. So if you're a fifth-time entrepreneur, probably no need to go. You can fund your project yourself. You fund the building of your team, uh, and you don't need a bunch of blocking and tackling advice. We have one. It's called the Launch Accelerator. Uh, You've heard of Y Combinator. You've heard of Techstars. You may not have heard of today's accelerator. That's because they operate in China uh, and some other places, and they're called SOSV. Uh, and they are a um, global accelerator, uh, and the managing general partner, Sean O'Sullivan, and he's with us today from Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, this is being taped during the coronavirus quarantine. So, Sean, uh, I, I hope everybody is safe and sound with you. Well, uh, most people are safe and sound uh, at, at home. Uh, we have a couple of people that have been affected, mostly in our startups, uh, by, uh, you know, being hospitalized or or uh, you know getting through it, no one, no one. So you've had people in your portfolio, p- business partners who have uh, come down with it and been hospitalized. Yeah, my one of my partners, um, uh, Brad Higgins, uh, he was a partner with us in SOSV One. He's a little older, and he's in his sixties, and he was hospitalized. Um, he's in uh, Westchester, or no, he's in Connecticut. Uh, you know, just in the New York City area, and he was. Um, 
in the ICU, but he's been just released the last two days. So he's uh, looking good. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you've operated in China. Uh, what's the... Has there... Well, about half, about half of our staff is in China, yeah. actually. How uh, have they globally. been impacted and what's the... Um, what's the... Well, of course... Yeah, what's the feedback yeah, there? Yeah, uh, the... Of course, it's much less uh, of an issue in China uh, than in the U.S. because they had ten times less people infected, uh, you know, by this uh, by the coronavirus. But um, they do, uh, you know, they do see, uh, you know, a huge uh, lockdown on their capabilities uh, to work uh, and to move around, and that continues even many months past the the peak. The apex there was, uh, you know, back in late. Was it late January uh, or, or is it very first week or two of February? I can't remember. But, uh, you know, months later, they're still really locked down. And that's one of the things I think in the U.S. where we're not yet uh, aware of how much longer we're going to be locked down. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad your partner's OK. And it seems like we're getting through it slowly, but shortly, surely. Um, tell me a little bit about the accelerator. You graduated your first class in China in 2010. I know you've been going to China since the 80s or 90s working on software companies. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about the origin of the SOSV. Am I pronouncing it correctly? SOSV? Yeah. SOSV, that's the name of the venture capital firm. Got it. Uh, and then we have uh, accelerator fa- uh, different accelerator families all underneath the SOSV family. So, What does SOSV uh, stand for? It doesn't really stand for anything. It used to be uh, SOS Ventures. My initials are SOS. Uh, and it was, I started, uh, Jason, I think in a similar way to you as a sort of a super angel, you know, investing in checks of 50 or 100 or $500,000 checks into startups after my first company went public. Uh, and then I then progressed to uh, creating this, uh, you know, copying effectively the accelerator model. Um, I do date it all the way back to the idea lab, uh, you know, sort of as a as the grandfather of all, of all, the, all these accelerators. But uh, the model that we were sort of modeled after was uh, more the Techstars model, where you have a cohort of people in a, in a community that is working together, right, uh, in one physical space, um, and, you know, and, and you know, so people explain that decision, because Y Combinator's always been very firm about, hey, we're not going to house everybody. We think that that slows them down. It creates this like social dynamic, uh, and that's not good. We want people to go back to work uh, and stay home. Yeah. And then you've chosen, Techstars has chosen in some cases, to have everybody in a co-working space where, and the argument is, they can flourish, talk to each other, and that socialization doesn't result in distraction. It results in collaboration and learning. Uh, that's right. One, what, yeah. The- what, how do you execute yeah. this without, and what do you think of Y Combinator's uh, position on this? Well, I mean, it's certainly economically very easy for them to make that decision. And I think that's a, you know, it's a, it's a much less costly way of doing business, especially if you're doing anything like what we do as well. I mean, you know, for, for what we do at SOSV, we run the world's largest and most successful hardware accelerators, life science accelerators, and, uh, you know, you know, disruptive uh, sort of food accelerators. And and in China and in Asia, we run the the software accelerators, the most popular software accelerators in in Asia. So, uh, but in in terms of the verticals that we concentrate on, the actual physical need is quite concrete. You know, 
you're, if you have a life sciences accelerator, it makes perfect sense to be sharing that lab space as well as uh, just Got it. So to- there's some shared resourcing that's different in terms of life science or hardware uh, where you might need fabrication machines. And Y Combinator doesn't have to pay for if they have 200 plus companies per cohort and you had two or three desks each, you're talking about 500, 600 desk facility at a 150 square feet a person. I mean, this becomes a ginormous space. Yeah. So, so I mean, they can basically have their events as they do. It's kind of like a banquet hall. They have, I guess, a Wednesday night dinner or something. They have some super famous person comes in, gives a speech. But it's not that same sense of community that you'd get if it's a 40 or 50 person sort of uh, cohort that's all working together uh, with some help, uh, you know, with with the, all the mentors. And the, SOSV has a very different model uh, than most accelerators because we do like, you know, we have electrical engineers. If it's a hardware thing, we have electrical engineers and and design for manufacturing engineers and, you know. So let's start with that. People. What are the verticals that you are focused on? The two biggest ones are life sciences and hardware. And those both require specific hardware to be available. What's the standard deal? Is there a standard deal? You put 100000 in for 5 6%? Well, actually, it's it was interesting when you said that. Like most of the deals, like if you look at uh, some of the popular deals, there's they get 5 or 6% for the common for the what's considered their sort of, um, you know, their... Uh, intellectual contribution or the networking capabilities or their fundraising capabilities. And then they get, a say that $100,000 or $150,000 note is a convertible note, which then uh, converts at whatever the CLN then converts to later. So if you look at, you know, some a popular deal would be say like uh, 6% for common and then one uh, $100,000 at a at a, at a presumed 10 million cap. If you end up raising it a 3 million cap, then that becomes whatever, 3%. So actually even that 6% is not really a 7% deal, which is the 7% deal that you hear about is presuming that all of the startups that come out will get a $10 million uh, valuation, which, which they never really did. Uh, but you know, there was always the prospect that you would. Uh, so that's, that's why they, they said that because the safe or whatever was, was, was set at a 10 million uh, cap theoretically, but then when you actually get funded, it ends up turning out to be a little bit more than that. So yeah, so we have a, a traditionally, you know, a six percent sort of common, and then we have a, a a note just like the others do, but the note is a little bit more. Um, and so we give the the companies uh, typically in the hardware space, we give them two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, and then we give in the life sciences a similar similar amount. Another difference, I guess, is that we also are very active in following on with our companies. And so it's very, very typical for us to just put the, the first check is actually only about 25% of the capital that we deploy into all of our accelerated companies. So we save most of the money uh, for follow on checks, which range from a couple hundred thousand to a million and a half or even $2 million. How many companies do you have in a cohort and how many cohorts do you run a year for each of those uh, accelerated we, programs? It's great. So we, we run effectively 15 cohorts a year, 10 companies in a cohort. We find the smaller size enables the community to really engage with each other and they become lifelong resources to each other. I mean, obviously there's a larger benefit effect of being in the hacks hardware community because there's all the different factories, hundreds of factories and, and whatnot that we work with and the suppliers and the supply chain issues, et cetera. But 
and that that goes sort of crosses the span of of all the cohorts but uh the the biggest uh relationships that people will rely on for the rest of their lives are the 40 other 50 other people that are working together and really are going through the same struggles and the same uh the same sort of uh dynamics of raising their first rounds you know you know getting their first uh commercial deals working with fortune 500 companies and that group of people is a built-in sort of peer consulting network and i'm sure you find the same with uh your accelerator all right when we get back from this quick break i want to understand the criteria the goldilocks zone as we like to call it internally what's the perfect stage of a startup to join uh your accelerators at sosv uh when we get back on this week in startups, our special Power of Accelerator series. Now more than ever, we need people with the right skills to support our communities, especially the frontline workers who provide resources and care for those most in need. To help, LinkedIn is offering free job posts for healthcare and essential service organizations that need to quickly fill critical roles with the people who help us all. How amazing is that? If you're hiring for one of these organizations, LinkedIn's active community of over 679 million members, unbelievable how big it's gotten, can help you find the right people for the frontline fast. LinkedIn jobs screens candidates for the skills and experience you're looking for, and it puts your job post in front of qualified people who meet your requirements. So you can find the right person and you can fill critical roles quickly and properly with a talented person. Here's an example. Takeoffs.io is one of the companies we invested in, and they build an AI-enabled building materials marketplace. It's a really cool product, and last year, their CEO, Chris, was trying to hire an AI, artificial intelligence engineer lead, which is really difficult. There's a lot of competition for these, and it's a very unique skill set. Well, he used LinkedIn Jobs to find a perfect candidate after hearing about it here on This Week in Startups. And he got a candidate with a PhD in computer vision, and that employee has been with them for over a year, and he has rolled out several major projects. So here is your CTA, the old call to action. When it's time to hire and find the right person, LinkedIn is there to help. Plus, if you need to hire for healthcare or essential services, you can post your job for free. That's awesome, LinkedIn. Go to linkedin.com slash power for $50 off your first job post. That's right, linkedin.com slash power, because this is the Power of Accelerator series. Again, linkedin.com slash power. Terms and conditions, of course, apply because they're giving you 50 bucks. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, Sean O'Sullivan is with us. He is the founder and managing general partner of SOSV. Get it, Sean O'Sullivan uh, Ventures. And he has a number of different accelerators. One is called Food X, and the other one is called Hacks, uh, the hardware accelerator, and Food-X. Where can people find these on the web? Uh, they can find everything under SOSV.com. SOSV.com, uh, nice four-letter domain. Yeah. Yeah. And they can also go to the individual accelerators like hacks.co or indiebio.co. Indiebio.co is the, is the biotech one. Life sciences. Yeah. Life sciences one. And so uh, what is the stage of company you're looking for? Are you looking for people with ideas, business plans, prototypes, products in market, customers? Uh, what's the scale here? Yeah, it's it actually varies uh, by the accelerator. So in food, uh, generally, uh, we have companies that already have the prototypes and perhaps are even shipping into uh, into the marketplace. Uh, but in the, you know, in, into grocery chains and things like that, if they're an actual food uh, company, if they're a food technology company, they, they would be at a little earlier stage where uh, maybe they just have a prototype or a few customers but need to scale. Um, and then, and then for the um, 
hardware accelerators, we would expect them to have prototypes of working devices, but we'd expect them to be at a point where they'll their industrial design isn't done, their their works like may not really be fully done. And so they're not like, even at Kickstarter level yet. They don't even have oh, a no, prototype. Definitely not. Definitely. As a matter of fact, actually for our teams, we have uh we have had more teams uh that have uh, gone through Kickstarter than any other accelerator program in the world. I think 8% of all the Kickstarter projects um, of all time that grossed more than a million dollars came out of that hacks program by itself. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been a super successful way of non-dilutive funding for our consumer uh, companies. And then what about, so that's FoodX and hacks. And then the third one is? IndieBio Indie is, yeah. is the life sciences one. And so IndieBio is, uh, you know, doing a lot of work now with the COVID-19 uh, crisis in, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different solutions, testing solutions, rapid diagnostics, um, antibody uh, treatments um, and uh, vaccines, et cetera. Um, so we have a, probably two dozen companies, not just IndieBio companies, but uh, two dozen or so uh, companies that are, uh, you know, very, very active in this period trying to put down the virus. Um, but the the other, uh, you know, the the main thing that IndieBio has been famous for, uh, you know, to date, uh, you know, is, uh, for example, all the, the cellular agriculture industry, uh, companies like Memphis Meats or Perfect Day or uh, Geltor. These are companies that are receiving rounds of hundreds of millions of dollars. Memphis Meats just closed on $175 million, I think it was, in the last uh, quarter uh, of capital uh, as they expand their um meat uh, without animals, but it is animal meat. It's just grown in bioreactors. Um, and the same thing with Perfect Day, producing milk without cows, using that for ice cream and, and uh, other things. But again, not like a nut milk or a soy milk or anything, actually cow milk, but without the cow, that, those kinds of things. So let, let's talk about food for a second. I think it's a great jumping off point. Um, Memphis Meats is one of the companies making mock meat or meat, I guess there's two different categories here. You have meat that's made from plants and then meats that's made in a bioreactor. Explain yeah, for so a lay it, person what's the difference and where Memphis Meats falls and where did they go through, IndieBio or FoodX? IndieBio. Got it. So uh, the deeper tech uh, life science ones that actually have to grow things in bioreactors and do you know genetic uh, engineering work, those would go through IndieBio. Um, the so the the way that it works in terms of breaking out the the differences, um, number one, uh, you have with a, with the case of a, a Memphis Meats, uh, that's a cellular agriculture uh, field, and most of our companies are cellular agriculture. So the what cellular agriculture. If you were okay, like so, a neophyte like me, how would you? Yeah, no, I understand. So so the uh, Beyond Meats is basically like a veggie burger, really great tasting veggie burgers. I love the company. I love the product. It has a long run ahead of it. It is a really great company, but it's basically um, soy chopped up. Yeah, and it's and it's got all sorts of you know formulations. It's processed vegetables that, that make it take taste like meat, and it's a great product. Um, and the same thing is true with Impossible uh, Foods with their Impossible Burger. They throw in a little bit of genetic uh, engineering work. They have this uh, protein called heme that uh, they. Modif they basically take that from and they produce that to create the blood-like element of uh, of the meat. Uh, I'm not. I, I, I those two are both great companies, but cellular agriculture goes beyond beyond 
meat and it's more impossible than the impossible burger. The cellular agriculture work actually starts at the cell and is actually creating, uh, you know, from the original cow uh, stem cell or the fish stem cell or, or the, you know, the chicken, you know, for, for eggs. Um, it's actually finding the proteins that need to be produced in the case of uh, things where you're just taking output uh, from an animal. Like uh, if you look at, uh, if you look at milk uh, without a cow, uh, you're not actually using the cells of the cow, but you're using the output of the cells of the cow. So we then take those genes that produce those casein and whey proteins and the things that are necessary to make milk, and they produce those in bioreactors. There's different kinds. So that's for that's one type of cellular agriculture. And another type of cellular agriculture is where you're actually harvesting the cells themselves, the, the actual meat, and then you're producing that at large scale. Um, you know, and all and of is the, that done the in a bioreactor as well when you take the meat sample yeah. and then make more? It's a different kind of bioreactor, yeah. but yeah. And does so, that require the slaughtering of the animal or taking, I know it's kind of graphic, but uh, taking a sample of a, of a yeah. cow or do you kill one cow and make like a hundred yeah, times yeah. that? Don't have to, no, 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 no animals are harmed in this whole process. No, no animals so are killed. You're taking a sample of the meat from a fish and then duplicating it, essentially replicating it. You can take, a, even even in your own body, you can create a clone of yourself uh, by just taking a fat cell. Right, right, uh, and and just take that out. It, it, there's no, uh, you don't have to kill any animals, and there's no brain attached uh, to the to the animal as it's pr- producing these. Uh, I'm curious, products. what's the has the and, and this is a total aside, but people like the asides on the podcast. Has the uh, the pitas of the world, the people who want to protect animals, who uh, feel great empathy for the animals in our factory um, system, have they passed their judgment on the no brain meat cells being replicated in a Petri dish? And if that is cruel and unusual and horrible, where do they stand on all this? Or are they, are they, well, they, they embrace it as we all are (laughs) in generally, you know, vegans and other, other people that, that are in it for the ethical purpose of not slaughtering life in order to, uh, to feed ourselves. Uh, they embrace this. They, they may not, some, some people may not choose to eat that meat, uh, but it is vegan meat because it doesn't actually, uh, even though it's the same meat that you would be eating, you know, in a, in a McDonald's hamburger or whatever, uh, it's, it's done without the sacrifice of you, uh, of animal life. So um, if no you objected sl- based suffering. on, the slaughter of animals you might accept this meat if you are against eating meat itself for whatever health reasons then you're still not going to embrace this but you might not be protesting outside of memphis meat's office or yeah and i think the burger which has some of this and the other people obviously that are affected by this are the climate change people and they're of course hugely a, a fan of this like all, all the climate change people should be protesting outside the offices of every meat producer in the in the on the planet. Why and, is the Impossible Burger so much more expensive than a hamburger today? And when will we have the flip of an Impossible Burger, a Memphis Meat Burger, et cetera, being cheaper than the actual real thing? Yeah. So, like, if you look at the cost of producing these things uh it's actually cheaper that's why the profitability of i I think beyond meat is much better than a traditional uh hamburger uh manufacturer using the beef uh process um it it does they're charging a premium for it because they can because 
because it's the beginning of a marketplace and people like to charge a premium for these things. But the actual cost of goods sold is less because it is cheaper to produce the protein uh, from uh, vegetables than it is to produce it from cows. And it takes much less energy as well to produce one calorie so of wait energy. Wait a second. Of- this makes no sense to me. Beyond Meat Burgers, I'm just reading here from a Bank of America an- analysis. It's from the Washington Post said, Beyond Meat Burgers are $12 per pound compared to $4 per pound for ground regular beef patties. So that is a 3x difference. But what you're saying is they're just price gouging. They're just taking a massive margin and it actually is cheaper than beef patties. Well, I, I think you have software companies that are on your program uh, occasionally, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, I, I would say that you can charge uh, more than it costs. And uh, in the case of software in particular, the cost of goods sold is very low. So you would ar- argue, I guess, using that same argument that all software companies are price gouging. And I suppose oh, you'd yeah, be yeah. right. So I, let me put aside that uh, language, which I guess is a little bit biased and leading. But wouldn't the better model be to just be comparable price or cheaper if it is in fact cheaper? Like why take the margin when you could scale? Is it just too hard they, to scale these businesses right now? They are scaling and it does, it's true. It does take hundreds of millions of dollars of plant to to scale. Ah, so and maybe so that's the of, reason. They're sort of saving up and getting profitable in order to make the capital cheap enough so that they can continue to uh-huh. scale at the rate that they've been scaling. So the infrastructure cost has not been b- built out, but you're saying if- theoretically the infrastructure was built out you'd now be competitive or less expensive are the governments engaging with these companies with an eye towards reducing global warming yet because it does seem like if you want to affect global warming you could work on getting people discounts and, and rebates for their tesla which i think have mostly been deprecated by now um but they did have an impact why are the governments not uh, subsidizing this or making it um, otherwise more profitable or helping with the infrastructure in order to reduce global warming. It seems like an easier thing to do or maybe perhaps the easiest thing in the world to do. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think it's coming that way. Uh, but, you know, it's still very early. I mean, these are these industries, like, for example, the Memphis Meats thing, the first burger uh, that they produced it at Indie Bio in San Francisco. I think it was like $80,000 a pound or something, which was still an improvement <laughs> over the theoretical, uh, European experiment, which cost like $240,000 a pound. But, but still, uh, then it was eight, th- it took them a year to get down to 8,000 a pound. And then it was another year to get down to 800. And they're still at, you know, I think their, their, their goal is to be at $8 a pound and in Costco's and in, I'm not sure what the time frame is, but it's pretty it's pretty soon. Yeah, it's um it's pretty amazing how much this has been embraced. What I want to ask you, because I'm really obsessed with this food um uh concept, is when we get back from this quick break, I want you to explain to me if you believe that world hunger and food is going to be a problem that is solved in our lifetime because of this technology when we get back on the swing of startups. I want to take a moment and tell you about the importance of insurance for your startup. And I am an expert at this because I've been doing it for 30 years. I had a magazine, I had a search engine, I had a blogging company. I have been sent legal letters every year. Anybody who's successful in business is going to need insurance because they're going to have things come up. Let me just go through the top four types of insurance with you. Cyber insurance. Imagine you get hacked, your entire customer role, maybe their credit cards if you didn't hash them properly. Uh, Maybe it's an inside job and really important stuff gets leaked. 
you need to have cyber insurance to cover you. There's DNO insurance. That's directors and uh, officers. That's like your top employees, officers. And if you do something stupid, you're going to get sued, and you want to make sure that your officers, the top employees of the company, and your directors, people who are on the board, have insurance and they're covered. In fact, people, you can't get great um, directors and you can't get great officers for your company if you don't have this. E and O insurance stands for errors and omissions. Really important to have, especially in editorial and other um, uh, services. And any big customer you have using your product is going to want you to have E and O if you're going to close a deal with them. And then finally, this EPL, Employment Practices Liability, that covers harassment and wrongful termination. And you see these things come up all the time. And listen, you might be the greatest boss in the world. But if somebody else feels like they've been wrong, they're going to sue you. And there's plenty of attorneys out there who want to sue you, especially if you're a venture-backed company. And you might have somebody in your organization. It may not be you. It might be somebody else in your organization does something really stupid and harasses somebody, and then you're on the hook for it. So you want to get that EPL. You want to get that E&O. You want to get the D&O. And you want to get that cyber insurance. And in brokers technology, it's going to get it for you, and it's going to save you time and money. Prices are up to 20% lower, and you're going to get better coverage. You go sign up and get a quote, and you purchase within just, wait for it, 10 minutes. So what's your excuse now? Here's the thing. You don't have to call a traditional broker insurance company and deal with large, slow incumbents and sign up taking days, if not weeks, and a process that's just simply not transparent with opaque pricing. They make it quick, they make it easy, and they make it better to instantly buy custom-built insurance for startups. Go to imbroker.com slash twist imbroker.com slash twist that's embroker b-r-o-k-e-r dot com slash twist and get an extra 10% off by using the offer code angel10 right you may have never heard of uh, SOSV Uh, I wasn't super familiar with it Uh, but producer Nick found Sean O'Sullivan based on all these incredible companies that have come out of his accelerators uh, which are based in uh, largely in China the the three operators well uh, no, uh, we have we have some in China. Uh, we have our the the indie bi- uh, we have our indie bio is based mostly in the U.S. Right, so okay. San Francisco and now New York. Hacks has an office in uh, San Francisco, but also offices in in Tokyo, mm-hmm. uh, in Shenzhen and Xi'an, uh, China, um, and uh, and so yeah, we're kind of scattered uh, yeah. globally uh, with good reason. When we went to the break. I'm curious, you know, based on what you know, running an accelerator and looking at food, there's been this big concern of, uh, you know, a bunch of societies, China uh, comes to mind, are now moving to more consumption of uh, meat, specifically cows. uh, And there's a concern, hey, uh, will we be able to keep up with this? What's it going to do for global warming? From where you sit, do you think food as an issue in the world Healthy food being available to everybody is going to be solved in our lifetime. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it would have taken if the people in China or India had uh, continued on the path of consuming just as much meat per capita as we do. And everybody kind of likes doing that um, in the West. Um, It would have taken four planet Earths to support uh, the the population of, uh, of of the world eating the same level of meat as we do in Europe and in the United States. So uh, we don't have the four planet Earths at the moment. Uh, I keep watching all these science fiction uh, channels. Yeah, we might terraform. We could do some Prometheus. <laughs> that's one option. Yeah, so that's one option. And Sounds the pretty other costly. Op- yeah, it's a costly thing. We are we're actually looking at lots of other things, growing algae, in the ocean and we have other projects that are doing that as well. Okay. As I'm going to put a sources. pin in that one, but that we're going back to that one terraforming. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, well, not terraforming. Speaking, but, I know, but speaking of terraforming, it is yeah. in a way. <laughs> yes, yes, creating yes. It's farms where there were not. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's been going on for a little while here with all these salmon farms and all these ponds and all these other sort of ways that they're harvesting at very different rates than uh, you would have imagined uh, previously or was ever possible previously. But at any rate, um, the in terms of the you know production of this, you can produce uh, you know at least nine times as much. Uh, using bioreactors rather than, you know, traditional uh, animal farming, mass animal farming. So we actually can cover these issues even just on that front. And then the other uh, option is I think that plant-based meats are going to continue to to be a very viable option. And they're they're much better for the environment than the, the um, you know, Let's, the actual um, animal let me Let me industry. phrase the question this way as well. So you're really confident we're not going to have any kind of a food shortage or all these food problems will be solved by this technology. I'm in agreement. Um, what 10 years ago, state of the art was that frozen garden burger that tasted horrible. It was exactly, it was remember awful. that the frozen one in the yeah. plastic bag, you buy 10 of them it was the most disgusting thing you could ever eat. Like literally yep. the bun and the cheese was the best part of the burger in those situations, but people still ate them like sadistic, insane people, um, <laughs> would eat those garden burgers. <laughs> felt so bad for them. Um, and now we have bloody impossible burgers and memphis meats and beyond meats that if you do it side by side i think half the people would get fooled you know if you if they weren't expecting it you you could literally swap it out 10 years yep. from now and 20 years from now what is the bull case on what those products forget about society and pete and all that for a second the taste what a gourmand a foodie is going to experience with those products what would those products look like in 10 to 20 years well, it's very, very funny because you can actually engineer, you know, a much better product uh, once you start engineering it. It's just like if you were uh, to, for example, have a tree fall across a river and, uh, you know, say, OK, uh, uh, that's a good bridge. Or if you could engineer a bridge across a river, you know, with concrete and steel and things, you know, actually you can produce better products by engineering it a little bit. So we found, uh, for example, even with Clara Foods, which is the one the company that produces all these egg whites without chickens uh, that you what's can the name of that company clara foods clara, uh, clara foods, yeah. That's a. uh they are selling to as an ingredient supplier to um to uh, yeah, i remember pro them uh, producers yeah so uh they they are um you know so they're an ingredients company and we have a, a number of other companies Geltor, which produces human collagen instead of uh, you know, using the collagen and, uh, and jello, uh, you know, gelatin, uh, style, uh, products from animals. There's a number of other, uh, technologies. Wait, wait, where does the gelatin come from? Well, gelatin is actually just cooked, uh, yeah. collagen. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, but, no, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, gelatin is traditionally from like animal bones, right? Right. Uh, you know, so, uh, and now and there's so, a company making that based on what? Based off of just you know producing it in bioreactors, bioreactors. so anything, but any anything that can be produced by uh, the human body or animal bodies or by nature, plants uh, can in fact are they be producing produced it from human uh, gelatin then or animal gelatin? Um, for human collagen, human collagen, you want human you want human collagen if you're going to be doing that for makeup and things right. like that. So previously uh, or, that would be cannibalism. We didn't actually have that in the world. No, you did not harvest people for that. No. We did not. No, I mean, I'm just pausing for a second to even <laughs> consider how amazing and outlandish this is right now. 
you, there are things you cannot eat a human. We've ne would never consider that cannibalism is <laughs> kind of out of favor. But in this situation, you could actually take collagen from humans and manufacture it, and we could actually have the good stuff that we actually need. This is not the first time this has been done. Oh, if really? you look back, to, if you if you look back to the 1980s, my mom is a diabetic, was a diabetic. She's passed away, but and oh yeah, and I know where you're going with this. Yeah. yeah, before you know, with insulin, it was coming out of pigs and cows, and it would get infected, and you know, and there, people would die from using it. It'd be put in nice little bottles on the shelf, but it was really just coming out of slaughterhouses, um, and you know, for harvesting the harvesting the insulin from from the from from the animals. So what instead, uh, you know, what Gen um, Genentech did is they created, uh, you know, a bioreactor. It cost them hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to do that back in the day. And they, within a few years, they completely replaced the entire insulin market from animals. And that's exactly what's going to happen in all of these other industries as well. Wow. It's just going to it's just going to take. And a so the time. quality of the synthetics goes way up because they're much easier to control in terms of food supply. You don't have um, the ability of bacteria. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at what happens in a cow, I mean, yeah, there's no, a certain there's a certain amount of feces that are allowed yeah. in you know the the fecal matter that's allowed when this cow is ground up and up to that amount, it's okay, and they can just sell it. But yep. the problem with all that fecal matter and all that bacteria that's in that fecal matter is that that's why meat goes bad so quickly. You know, and that's why people out. get sick from meat. You know, people that's why exactly death so ill it, from it. Yeah. If you grow it in a lab and you don't require the bacteria to be there, then you're in great shape. So in ten to no. twenty years, you're saying it's going to be massively safer. But what is a holy grail of a product? that you think you'll see come into the accelerator that previously has not been able to be made. So we're, you know, everybody's obsessed with burgers and maybe some, you know, general so's chicken. Uh, yeah. You know, pretty easy to, to fake the beyond me chicken when you're breading it and putting sugar sauce on it. Right. <laughs> kind of takes <laughs> over, but tell me what's, what are the Holy grails of meat production? Cause a burger also ground up, you're getting a little bit of mulligan there because it's a ground up thing. You got a lot of cheese. You got a lot of burger sauces, etc. Yeah, I think it goes beyond. I think it goes beyond what just replacements for our existing food supply. I think it yeah. goes into designing new, new. Food. Really? Yeah. I mean, even the stuff that uh, Clara Foods is doing is they're creating much richer sort of. Uh, you know, what's that cream that you get when you whip an egg? Um, you know. Oh, uh, anyway. you're, yeah. You're talking when you make the peaks. Um, yeah. meringue and stuff like that yeah. oh yeah meringue they they make some unbelievably great meringue and you can have fluffier milk than you could ever have before you know you can have sure. richer fattier milk if you wanted so like these are things that that artisan consumers of or artisan manufacturers of products are going to look to to produce you know finer and better products in the future but but beyond that i mean we're looking at the next generation right so we're we're looking what's at the craziest thing you've seen what was the craziest well, pitches or whether you funded it or not, you well, can obscure yeah, the name no, of well, it, but one that was no, really far out there, maybe even unfundable in your mind. We No, we fund things that are completely crazy every couple of- You fund things month. that are unfundable is what you're about to say, Sean. <laughs> we fund the unfundable <laughs> things. Absolutely. We well, did. It's kind I of my business I, too. It's like we're funding things that other people consider unfundable. What we, what we, yeah, exactly, right? At the so, time. Uh, yeah. Our our motto at SOSV is is making the impossible inevitable, right? Yeah. So just taking something which would have been thought as totally crazy and making it absolutely a necessity for society. So what what I, I'll give you one example in a non uh, 
meat way is just uh, you know creating you know how you have people who take the blood out of a human and then give it to another human uh blood banks and things like that uh you yeah know, blood, blood boys i think there was yeah. a whole silicon valley oh, yeah. theme of blood <laughs> boys yes we get it transfusing blood is there, there there's this concept that if you get blood transfusions this could be an incredibly right. accretive thing for people who are dying and decaying if young people give yeah. them their blood yeah, so we just had a company, Membio, that just graduated and received several million dollars. That's just producing those without actually requiring a human to do. No to blood do boy it. necessary. No so blood boy necessary. But no, I mean, this is mostly boy. for surgery, right? This is mo mostly for actual medical use, right? Yeah. So th this is uh, valid use. It's not for the yeah, the, uh, you know, the rich billionaires of the world. Yeah. Uh, for me, I I'm going to know that you're doing your job when you can get me some Peking duck that rivals the Peking duck at like Ma 32 in Hong Kong or Hakkasan here in San Francisco. Like if you can get that level of Peking duck, how far before somebody can make a crispy skin Peking duck, like multi-layered texture meat like that? Is that 10, mm -hmm. 20 years out? What do you think? I think it could be, you know, I think the first of, the, of this is going to be more the commodity replacement, right? Uh, the 99% of the market or the 95% of the market that people- oh, so boring. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for the wagyu. Yeah, yeah. I think there'll be there'll be some people that'll be going up for that artisan stuff. I mean, we have people that make you know cheeses, right? So, so those are those are uh, going to the next level. Are so any of cheeses good? I, you know, I had this Daya cheese, didn't like it. No, because We'd you rather know have the, no cheese. Yeah, well, no, and listen, I love cheese because. If they can't replicate the, 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 the whey proteins and the uh, casein proteins, they're, they're not going to get that stretchiness that, yes. that a milk-based cheese has, yeah. right? So, and we have companies that have figured all that out, right? So, so they're working on the next generation of cheeses and they are, you know, they're in the, they're getting in the market. So right. we're always a few years ahead. Incredible. Of you know, I always, when I get the omelet, they say, you want cheese? Of course I want cheese. And I go for the cheddar blue cheese combo. But I was mm. just thinking out loud here, man, somebody's going to make, instead of mixing cheddar and blue cheese, they're going to make that into one thing. We're going to make these hybrid designer cheeses that are going to be bonkers. Yeah. And that's what the I'm looking forward misses. to. I'm not in this for like saving money and feeding the world. Like I know that's going to get done for me. It's like, okay, great. Noble. You're going to get it done. It's kind of like a checkbox for me. That's a natural thing that occurs. But I'm looking for one of these companies to make me a Kobe, Kobe, Wagyu, Miyazaki that's better than what I'm getting yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I'm glad I'm glad for you. I'm, uh, show I'm me the Otoro that beats Otoro. That's what I want. Okay. Well, I'm I'm less of a foodie. I think we are we have to address our food supplies uh in terms of the health of our food supply and in terms of what it's doing to our population. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. You know, I know you're so going to get that done. Yeah. We're working on that stuff. We're working on making sure that the world has a supply, uh, you know, and, uh, and that the climate change issues are dealt with at the same time. I, this is another silly one, but um, I'm curious if in the ingredient space, you've seen people working on ingredients that would take an ingredient that was typically causing obesity and not only not have it cause obesity, like obviously we've had sugar substitutes and stevia and saccharin yep. and all this other stuff, but- what if there were things that were traditionally harmful that could not only be neutralized, but could become healthy? So as a yeah. thought experiment, a donut or a slice of pizza that was as good as eating a salad. Are there people working on ingredients that could have that level of promise? And I'm asking for a yep. friend, obviously. 
<laughs> you want to eat your donuts and get and, and get I mean, thin I just at the love same time. A, a good bear claw. You know, you ever have a bear claw? It's like oh, one and a half donuts. Geez, I know. Put it. some. It's really great. Apple you know? stuff in the apple middle. Apple fritter. It's, you know, it's apple. Yeah. I don't even, and I technically don't know the difference between an apple fritter and a bear claw because I point to the same thing, and some people call them different things. But you know, like the one and yeah. a half size donuts. When are those going to be healthy for you? Do you see that the ingredients that are shifting to be anti-diabetic? Because that is ingredient. a huge risk factor right now. Yeah, on the ingredient level, there are a number of things that are being done. Uh, we have a, a you know a company that has replaced the you know that actually has a, a protein that locks into the tongue receptors, and then everything uh, that you taste at at that point and afterward uh, is just immediately rich and sugary and really sensual. Uh, you know, so it's a it's something that came from some coffee bean or something in Kenya it is a natural uh, thing, but it just needs to be manufactured and made s stable and self self stable. So we have a company that's working on that uh, technology. So wait, wait, it primes your tongue and your palate to make what comes next richer tasting. But you just put it talking. in. You, you just put it in with the food, and you can t take us. You know how those those kombuchas and things like that. A lot of yeah. people don't like them because. You know, they, they taste like sour. Uh, they taste like they're bad. Yeah, they taste yeah. sour or they taste bad or whatever. Yeah, you just put a little this, with a little fruit in it. Yeah, yeah. You put a little of this stuff in there, and it's the richest, most satisfying thing. It makes terrible stuff taste great. You know, um, I think it'll be useful for medicines as well. But the 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 thing that you were asking about, I think, that is also relevant is if can you take stuff that will absorb the other sugars and the other things that are in our diet? And we had a, a company out of the last. Batch. I'm sorry, I'm not remembering all the names of my great companies. That's okay. But, uh, I, I have that same know, experience that occurs. You have too many. It's, it's terrible. It's like yeah. not. For, it's like not remembering one of your kids' names. It's like, hey, here's I, Susan, here's Bobby, and the I know. third one. Yeah. But but like we're we're basically this product actually puts uh you know you know it's a fiber that is put into uh, the food um and then it will it will effectively uh, lodge you know it comes through your gut. And it yeah. sort of soaks up all the sugar as that fiber sort of ah. expands and soaks up all the sugar and pulls it through. So what you are, you know, it, it drags out the sort of the bad uh, wow. know, carbohydrates from your from your body as it's going through. So basically, you can imagine there being an ice cream that you eat and it's incredibly sweet and delicious, has real sugar in it, but it's mitigated as a mitigation ingredient that then processes the sugar without adding fat to your body. Well, yeah, I, I think you can do that in two ways. The ice cream doesn't need to have that sh that kind of sugar anyway. Sure. But but the idea is that the ice cream you could eat that ice cream, and then it could also clean up all the excess carbohydrates and sugar from your the meal that you just ingested. So literally, that. I eat I just pound a pepperoni pizza, <laughs> and then I hit it with a Haagen Dazs washer to to counter it. I mean, this is I have been spending my life on the wrong things. Clearly. Thank the Lord that you're out there doing God's work. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, we 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 at SOSV, you know, we're very much focused on hardware, physical issues, these kinds of issues. Yeah, hard and the science-based uh, stuff. Uh, you know, that uh, is less. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly, like the hardware, for example, all these sensing devices and whatnot. They all have AI built into them because sensors are naturally you know, made for AI effectively with the huge data streams that they produce that machine learning is geared towards optimizing. I, so it looks like the Atlantic is calling this miracle, uh, this miracle, miracle berry. 
Miraculin. Miraculax. Miraculax. Miraculax is the name of the company. Miraculax is the name of the company. And Miraculin Um, is the name of the protein. Miraculin is the name of the protein. And it comes from that berry. Thank you for, uh, you must have had a researcher who's- Yeah, I got researchers live. You know what I do is I just pretend sometimes during the show that I'm like, oh yeah, I just remembered. Uh, (laughs) And then people are like, wow, Jason's got an encyclopedic knowledge. And literally I've got two producers dropping (laughs) shit into the Slack room while I'm doing the show. And the, but sometimes the guests get thrown off. They're like, "Wow, you, Jake, how really deep knowledge base across so many topics." Uh, I yeah. didn't do that this time. I should have. Um, who's funding all this? Who are your LPs? And when you have your demo day or people graduate, are you bringing them to Chinese investors, American investors? Yeah, yeah. And, and how does that work? Well, you know, like our LPs are actually just uh, American uh, LPs. So we have uh, you know seven hundred million uh, assets under management. We have. 277 was the fund that just closed in December. Uh, and these are American ago. LPs, you said? I mean, it's mostly Americans, yeah. some Japanese, some, I mean, there's a, a tiny fraction of Chinese ones. We yeah. really haven't uh, tapped the Chinese market uh, so much. Maybe, I don't know, uh, I don't know, 2% or something like that. Pretty mm-hmm. immaterial, 3% um, uh, of Chinese investors. Uh, the Japanese are more progressive on, on a lot of these issues, but I'd say the, and there's some Europeans, probably 10 or 15% European. Uh, family offices and institutions. How is doing business in China and running the accelerator in China different than running it in San Francisco? You know, there's uh, less, we don't understand, I think here in the US, how China is, has a free market, but is not a democracy. It's something Mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. So how does China work in having this, allowing capitalism while not being a democracy, and then how do they look at an American coming in there and running an accelerator? And you've been there for a while, so how has that changed since, I don't know, the 12 years or so you've been running an accelerator in Shenzhen and other places in China? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We started in Dalian, and now we're in Shanghai. Dalian is the other place? Dalian. uh, Dalian, uh, I'm pronouncing correctly. Big, uh, I forget what Lian means, but anyway. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's up in the north. It's kind of near... North Korea. It's, uh, Factory that, that town? Uh, it's more of an IT town. It's kind of like the Bangalore uh, of-, of uh, Oh, IT, of, like information technology. Got it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're, they, there's 500, all the Fortune 500 companies have hundreds of locations there that they do their outsourcing. In China, Dalian has been sort of like the Bangalore of China. Um, but but it, and, and of Japan uh, as well. A lot of the Japanese uh, businesses go to Dalian. And Russian businesses as well, but we started there. But we we're now in uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen. Um, did they Shenzhen invite you the there, or did you just show up and say, "Hey, I'm here. I want to build an accelerator"? Because I know they were courting business over the last twenty years, trying to get American companies to set up shop. I'm assuming they courted you. No, uh, I I went there uh, because I was uh, I was running a different company at the time uh, that was doing ride sharing and things like that. Um, and that we set up an operation, a division of our company in in China, in Dalian. And then when I was in Dalian, I decided at that point, I was also uh, one of the LPs behind Techstars. Uh, when Techstars expanded from Boulder to Boston, I, I, I was it. one of the founding LPs in Techstars. And I thought, you know what, like this would be really great to do something in a completely different marketplace with a completely different software marketplace. Because of course, behind the great firewall it's a completely different uh way that software works in china um and uh so we 
started China Accelerator uh, in in Dalian originally, and then when we had some hardware companies applying to China Accelerator because there's a lot of hardware in China, we said, well, it doesn't make any sense to have a hardware accelerator and a software accelerator in the same thing because there's totally different industries, totally different investors, totally different everything. So uh, we specialize, you know, we specialized by going to Shenzhen for the hardware accelerator, which we called Hacks, and we did that in 2012, uh, and then uh, we moved the the uh, software. And so, how is doing business there different? I'm curious. If at all. So, well, um, it is. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty open. It's not as bad as you think. You can't do it. Like if you have a company, there's certain industries you can't sell into because you know media. You can't do anything in uh, sort of public uh, space. Obviously, if you have anything like a search engine, they'll shut you down. You know, yeah. they like to control all the information. So Google had had no chance of ever being successful in, in China. And fa- frankly, Facebook uh, has has challenges. Uh, and know, but they, Facebook challenges. doesn't operate there at all. I mean, Zuckerberg's been yeah. desperately trying to convince them to let him in. And they yeah. see what's happening with Facebook around the world. And they're like, yeah, no, we do yeah. not want to hand you any influence. Sorry, Zuckerberg. Right. In yeah, that way, no, you have to respect the Chinese. I, I mean, honestly, like you're <laughs> looking at what the, inf- the oversized influence Zuckerberg has here. And they're just like, yeah, no, absolutely yeah, I mean, not. If you think about Google and Facebook, I mean, they are about sort of access to information or sharing information amongst people and China needs to control all that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, from their point of view as a dictator, not a dictatorship, but what do you call it? Uh, authoritarian. Oligarchy? Authoritarian. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, um, so, uh, but the, uh, so if you are selling to the Chinese government, that's where you'll hit sort of, uh, bad issues like corruption issues and things like that but the the if you're not uh then you don't have to worry about it mm. uh uh you know you the businesses are free to operate uh pretty pretty well you just need to have enough chinese speaking uh staff or people you know the partners we have a couple of partners that speak chinese uh at SOSV and that helps as well uh let's talk Sean about hardware in america mm-hmm. I send a hardware company to a VC. They say, we don't do hardware. Hardware too hard. You're right. We've embraced hardware. Um, yep. Or just, why we do like the hardware. VCs here hate hardware so much? And then why do you love it so much that you would start an accelerator? Are you a masochist or are you just... Yeah, yeah no. I, like in the old days, hardware was even harder than it is today. Now there's so many frameworks and the, the cost has come down uh, so much. Um, it used to, I think what the reason why Silicon Valley VCs stopped backing hardware companies is that every hardware company would cost them, you know, $70 million to spin up, hmm. you know, um, and, and in our case, we're spinning up hardware companies, you know, getting some non-dilutive revenue from a million dollar or three or $4 million Kickstarter projects uh, in the consumer companies. And they're able to get running and financed for, you know, in the, in the small millions, if even that, you know, sometimes we have companies that are getting to be break even profitable with just one or two million in, in capital. Normally, hardware costs a lot more and it takes yeah. a little bit longer time. But with the kind of, you know, people pay for hardware and they don't have a problem paying for hardware. Yeah, they love paying um, for hardware. Yeah. The problem is the so, race to the bottom. So how do you mitigate against that race to the bottom? You know, somebody comes out with well, AirPods. Yeah. There's so many competitors to AirPods. Now you can buy $30 AirPods or somebody comes out with. Yeah. Some- so I think it, it it's it, when you design your hardware, you have to build a community around it and you have to build the web services into your hardware. And that's where the benefit uh, comes. So like if you're looking at 
um, you know, a hardware uh, device that, for example, um, you know, can improve your tennis or, or something like that. You know, yeah. Where, where it's feeding you back. I mean, there's a lot of the, the software and the updates and the the letting your friends know that you know how much you've played today or, or whatever when you're when you're hitting that intelligent tennis racket around. Those are things that are. Um, those are things that are interesting to people who play tennis and for those people that are interested in, in, you know, sharing their, you know, competing, you know, with some other connected services like running or anything else, you have hardware that appeals to those markets where it comes in for, you know, industry is when you have internet connected devices that are measuring, you know, uh, you know, patients, uh, vital data so that they can, uh, discover oh, that this set of conditions in the metabolites in the blood leads to cancer of this type or leads to, uh, you know, some other metabolic uh, problem of, a, of another type. And so when the hardware is actually uh, serving as a connected service, then the value of the hardware is, is, is massive. So it has to be software and hardware together by, you know, in, in a new form factor. And then, then the value to the customer is huge. And uh, when you look at um, the relationship- the copyability, let me let me oh, let me yeah. just suggest there, there's an issue with going to China and having everyone copy your hardware, um, yeah. because that has happened, right? Sure. And that happens, and actually that even happens in the United States. But the the way that you thrive as a hardware company is building a value proposition that uh, that says, okay, we. We're going to actually build in the the web services and the software, you know, the community as part of this hardware. And when you yeah, do I mean, that, if you look at Fitbit, the Fitbit community and software is so good. I still wear a Fitbit to this day because I like competing with my friends, and, and you know, it's I could get, I could get any kind of like generic pedometer or whatever they call them, and you know, pay five bucks for it or ten bucks for it. But I, I want the hundred fifty dollar Fitbit that they break too often. But um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a bit of a problem. Um, what do you think of this new trend, HaaS, hardware as a service? You have companies charging for SaaS software. It kind of relates to this. We have one called Density. Um, that's hardware as a service. They have a hardware device, but they're really charging for the software. They do people counting uh, in spaces privately with uh, privacy um, without like video cameras uh, on people. So yep. what do you think of that trend? Is that a real trend? Very real trend. It's a massive, massive benefit to people and they like paying for for that way. We even have one of our companies is the Neura, uh, the spectacular headphones that were personalized to your personal ear drums. Ah. Um, I don't know if you've heard I've of heard of it. Or, you you basically yeah. take a mold and send it to them and they make you No, you just put on their headphones. They have inner sensors that 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 send out signals at various frequencies. What? Um, and then yeah. And then uh, then it will listen to the way that your ear sends these silent responses through like the I forget what it's called. Um, I'm totally messing this up, but the, yeah, yeah. Like the cilia of your ear canal. Yeah. And they send like these microscopic sort of messages that it listens for. And then it fine tunes your hearing, uh, wow. you know, personalizes the hearing of the left and right ear are different. And that's why like you get people like Stevie Wonder who, you know, once he tried these on, he was like, oh my God, he went out and bought three, went down to Santa Monica Apple store and bought like three. What's of the name things. of it? 
Uh, neurophones. Neuro. Neurophones. I got to get those. Yeah. N U R A. Yeah. They're spectacular. I, I promised I would uh, hit the terraforming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah. but when you look at that, like, you know, that response to the question, what, I forget. I, what was the question? Well, uh, no, we were, we were talking about hardware as a service and def being oh, yeah, defensible yeah. in general. And it's super defensible yeah. if you wear these headphones and it makes this profile. Heck, you, you know, if, if I could have that same profile put into my airpods i would pay whatever it is 50 bucks a year to just have the profile tweaked in real time yeah well neuro actually sells now even on a per monthly basis right wow. whatever it is six six or seven dollars a month or eight eight or nine bucks a month depending on what the headphones are wow. um, and it, yeah, and it makes total that, sense that's just a different way of selling but it makes it's comfortable for the consumer so and it's what they're what you're doing with the Apple phones anyway. Like I don't know, some people are buying Apple phones on a monthly basis, and they just always have the Apple phone. Yeah, that's. You know, but, I mean, people love the idea. I mean, layaway plans, subscription services, always been a really great way for people to lower their upfront cost and uh, become addicted and just pay as they go. And I think Apple, yeah, Apple has something where you get a new phone every two years or every year, yeah, like fifty kind bucks of a month or something. And that's exactly like, the thing. Yeah, they're just like we, we know. Let, let's just stop this farce of like. You know, we're releasing new ones and doing a big keynote and getting you excited. Like you're going to want a new one every 12 or 24, or 36 months. It's sort of like a car lease. Like either you love cars yeah. or you want to get value and you're going to pick how long you want to have the the uh, old one. Um, but tell me a little bit about this uh, terraforming in this micro terraforming of people doing algae. I I've heard about this before. People creating new ways to go vertical in farming, people doing algae. Uh, people doing this kind of stuff in oceans, doing it in lakes. What, what's the state of yeah. that there, and why is it important? Well, uh, there, you know, we have companies that are doing, uh, you know, that are doing basically like uh, what do you call it? Containers uh, that are filled with um, shipping containers, you know, shipping container like things, but open so you can receive sunlight. That are then, um, you know, basically using the sunlight uh, to grow al algae and little microscopic plankton and things like that, which then feed fish in another one of the tanks, which wow. then go on to, you know, re recycle. It's like this, it's like this in internal system that just uses sunlight uh, to grow the biology, which then is used to produce the output fish um, all without requiring any other inputs. You have wow. other companies that are just basically using uh, like the swamplands that are, uh, estuaries so they have too much salt so you can't actually grow farm crops on them yeah and and they're just uh modifying the the seeds uh so that they can actually grow um the plants can grow in salt water brackish, and so you, probably even yeah like half the, what do they call it brackish, yes, brackish like half salt yeah. half fresh yeah and then other the uh, another approach is to just have these like big sort of circular semi-circular um you know uh things in ponds or bays um, where inside that uh, you're you're growing and harvesting uh, the the algae as a as a product uh, for generating protein. Amazing! So we can literally just in a pond create a bucket, yeah, and in the mm -hmm. bucket we can create a bunch of protein. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's 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 a lot of wonderful work that's uh, happening right now, and there's a lot of people investing in this space. I mean. We invest uh, $65 million or, or a year or so into the companies that are going through our accelerator programs. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. Um, and, then, and then other investors invest between $500 million to a $1 billion a year 
they're, they're coming a little later into the same companies uh, that that uh, came out of the accelerator. So it's, and it's really tell me about yeah. Jump Bike. You had Jump Bike go through the program. Oh, yeah, Jump. Uh, well, actually, Jump was a hardware investment that we made even before Hacks was around, um, and so it didn't go through the program officially. But we we've uh, helped. You know, we've helped with them over the years in a number of ways, both on the hardware side and on the business side. So we were uh, a lead investor in them for the first five years, the lead investor in them for the first five years of their operations. Yeah, it seems to me like that's going to be a great adjunct to the Uber business, the Lyft business of just making Mm -hmm. it a subscription. I don't know why people are even paying for that on like a usage basis. Why is that not a subscription where you just... You pay in thirty be. bucks a month. You can use the scooter unlimited, you know, or well, they, up to they, X number they, of miles. I think they've been a little bit smarter about how they're doing it because you know, you know, you don't want to give someone unlimited. Oh, you say up to X number of miles. That's fair enough. Yeah, you don't want but people. Like, you know how these kids are. These millennials and Gen Z are going to share the account like they do with their Netflix. But exactly. you just said yeah, thirty yeah. bucks a month for thirty miles. You yeah, what to they, think what, about it. What they're doing already is they're saying, okay. This is your commute, right? Between yeah. I don't know Palos Verdes and wherever else. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and then so for this commute, if you subscribe, this is what your set fee is. And they are wow. doing that already, I think, with some some in some geographies. Oh, and that's that pretty cool. Sense. Yeah. So you're yeah. just like, hey, here's what you would pay on mass transit. We'll just buy that, and you're you're all set for the month. Yeah, it's like your monthly rail pass kind of thing if you're on the East Coast. So smart. All right, listen, yeah. continued success. Thanks for spending the hour with us. And, yeah. Uh, Pr- yeah, send me some good companies. And let's get on that uh, that Peking duck, okay? Yeah. Let me know when you find we'll that company. They're going to show up, I'm sure. At some point when the Peking right. duck or the ice cream that negates the pizza, I'm, I have a personal vested interest in investing in those. So let me know. All right. All okay. right, continued success pleasure. and stay safe. We'll see you all on this week. Startups next time. Bye-bye.